Välkommen till Filmklart. Again. <laughs> It's a lot for us today. This is our fourth episode we're recording today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, this week we're going to keep going on the train of the questions people have asked. Is a murder happening outside? Yeah, that's not... Well, maybe it is murder. I can't really see what it is, but I'm willing to bet it's the construction on the road. <laughs> a murder. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about crew building and self-doubt. Mm. It's going to be a wholesome episode, guys. It's not like we picked those out of a hat. Wholesome episode of murder. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, when we did our little what do you guys want to talk about posts, a lot of people said, talk about how to build a crew. That's something that never occurred to me. Cause it, I don't know, it always just seemed kind of self-explanatory to me. W like, what was your thought when I said people want to hear about crew building? I guess I could, I could see how people want to do that. Cause there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Yeah. But I think, I don't necessarily think it means specifically how to build a crew to shoot a film. Mm. It could also mean how to build a crew that you continually make films with yeah. to kind of have like that that group of people that you always work with on mm -hmm. projects um, and that could also be more valuable than the that's first true. one that's true so yeah where's, where does your mind go to where do you want to jump off for this um, before you do anything I think you've got to start uh, getting familiar with working on film sets so you know exactly what positions there are and who does what and what you need when you make your film. Um, and if you don't work on film sets, then you gotta go volunteer, go work as PA, um, just hang out around other filmmakers and kind of see how things come together. Uh, or film school. More, yeah, you could go to film school too. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't recommend going to film school just to learn how crews are put together. It might be a bit of waste of money. And time, yeah. But, yeah, I think get on set as often as possible and, and kind of see how things go from there. That way you have an idea of what the dynamics are between people and what roles everyone plays on set and then what uh, roles aren't important and who's phony. Yeah. Like producers. Yeah, you don't need a producer or a director, really. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so say you're doing a small micro-budget, like we talk about a lot. What roles do you think you need? I mean, you definitely need to have a cinematographer mm -hmm. unless you're doing it yourself. An editor, unless you're doing it yourself. And then you should have a first AD, which I don't recommend you do yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, I would say that. Um, sound guy. Yeah. Unless you're doing something silent for whatever reason. Um... You can get a producer. If it's a short film, might not be necessary. If it's a feature, they could help you out quite a bit. Um, script supervisor. Our, our two movies have been quite helpful. Yeah, for the features. Yeah, so script supervisor I would recommend. Um, grip. Well, you talk a little bit about like the grip gaffing. Yeah, I mean, it, if you're doing something really small, then a lot of the times a DP might just do it themselves and if not they might have like one or two guys to help them out with it but you know a, a grip is anyone who's setting up um, stands or rigging or anything like that to a smaller extent and then a gaffer will be someone who kind of takes care of the lighting 
well, a key grip, I mean, mm-hmm. and then a gaffer, someone who does more of the lighting and stuff like that. And the grip will set up flags and stuff to shape the light. But that's very, like, kind of union brain, I think, for yeah. independent stuff. Like, everyone just kind of, like, does everything together. Um, yeah, so for the lighting department, that. And then if you're really going for it, sometimes your DP might have a, a focus puller uh, first AC and then a camera operator as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess let's start with when to know which of those you need. You need a director, like I said, producer, optional depending what you're doing, especially if it's a small short, you might not need one. Um, cinematographer, you're more than likely going to need unless your director's doing it. Um, when do you know if you need Grips, gaff, camera off, first AC, focus puller, that kind of shit. If you have multiple lighting setups that require, you know, larger light lights to actually put up, you probably want to have uh, a couple extra people. Um, and I think your DP should know if they need more than one person. Um, and they'll tell you, like, oh, I need to bring on a, a grip and a gaffer, um, a key grip, and whatever, um, then it's up to you to like find people or they might know people. Yeah, they might have a crew that they just say, these are my guys, I'm bringing them. Yeah, so uh, I think you can kind of gauge if you need extra help, depending on what the actual thing you're shooting is. Um, so I'd have that conversation with your DP and be like, do you need extra help? Can you do it all yourself? Blah, blah, blah. What about focus pullers and camera ops and first ACs? Depends on the DP again. Some DPs like to operate themselves. Some like to have operators. Um, a lot of them will want to have a focus puller. Some of them might not. Um, some might. Some might just do it all themselves. Uh, as long as you trust that they can execute the thing they're planning to do. Um, and depending on how confident they are with doing the actual job. Um, so, and sometimes it just it goes a little faster when you have all those extra pieces because one person doesn't have to think about all those things. Um, so again, I would talk to your cinematographer and see what he feels like he needs. And yeah, script supervisor, like I found them very helpful to have around for continuity, mostly eyeline and stuff like that. It's really easy to get lost in the performance or blocking or whatever it may be and kind of forget to see if the eye lines match up or if you're going back to a location if you have your location your first day and third day when you're back on the third day if that candle was exactly right there that continuity kind of stuff that's easier to fall by the wayside if you're directing you don't have a scripty so i like having a scripty around even just for hey, you missed that line, or you should really get coverage on this insert that's in the script. Shit like that. They just make sure you don't miss things. Um, Sound person. Just just get a goddamn sound person. (laughs) Yeah, don't be lazy and cheap out and, like, give it to Bill, your brother, or some shit. Even if it's just a kid that's like, I'm in college for it right now, I can get some cheap or free equipment, just get that person. Yeah, get someone that you have dedicated to that position. Yeah, for sure. Even if it's just one guy, if he's like recording and doing boom op, or if you've got like the pair or even more, 
like just half sound people you will thank yourself and yeah then there's like if you're lucky enough to have some money you can have a crafty person that's people that make all your food and make sure you have drinks and stuff like that snacks odds are you're going to be doing all that stuff yourself especially if you're micro budget so just take that into consideration with your time when you're planning what you're going to do every day and you know your budget and all that kind of stuff um when should you get pas Latif? production assistance mm, i could see them being useful in small things and big things yeah because a lot of times the pas will do whatever the hell you want them to mm -hmm. so if you're like shit you know i need someone to go run and get coffee or I need someone to hold this bounce board. Or I need someone to slate. Mm -hmm. Or I need someone to punch. <laughs> then, you know, PAs are always useful for those things. Um, so, you know, if you're going to get a PA, I would not have like seven. <laughs> I'd keep it to one or two. Yeah, just the amount you need. Usually one is enough on a smaller thing. Mm -hmm. um, and if they can drive, that's a huge help. Because sometimes people need to be carried around from location or set or whatever and a lot of the times PAs will be very eager to help in whichever way they can mm -hmm. treat them nicely and make sure they get fed and if you're not paying them then take them out for coffee after a shoot and just hang out with them and ask them about their dreams um, don't indulge them because they're PAs yeah. but treat them nicely yeah there's always that story of like the P every PA wants to be a filmmaker yeah um, and I remember the set we met on we told the story there was a really dickhead camera op guy yeah and I was a PA and he treated me pretty brutally and when I went to make my first stuff he's like oh I really like your camera op it's like no because I know you're a dick <laughs> so I'm not gonna hire you <laughs> so that PA could end up costing you jobs later if you're if you're brutal to them um let's touch on first AD what does a first AD do Latif and why shouldn't you do it yourself <laughs> Well, we have an episode dedicated to this. Yep. So go listen to that episode. I don't want to talk about it. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> just give an overview, you know? They, they run the set. Yeah, um, they make your schedule. Uh, Oliver Robertson was the PA on both our projects, yeah. and he does an episode dedicated to the role of the first AD. Anyone in Vancouver looking for a first, he's fantastic. He's great, yeah. And he's a very nice person as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I recommend getting a, a first AD for whatever you do because they just kind of keep things going and they have their eye on the ball and they, they're always someone you can talk to about anything mm -hmm. um, be it your decisions about the filmmaking process and scheduling and all that other shit so it's really good to have a first AD around yes okay so yeah you know at this point you know what crew you need how do you find them? Yeah, and this goes back to getting on set and working with people. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the people you work with will be peers that you've worked with once before. So if you're working on sets and kind of volunteering your time or, or just trying to make some cash on the side and work on smaller film projects, likely you will meet some people that you get along with. And for the most part, these will become contacts that you can reach out to later on. Um, and I'm not saying like this is how you're going to meet every member of your crew. Because sometimes you want to do a more dedicated search for certain parts. Um, so you likely you'll meet someone that would love to work as a PA on your thing. Um, oh, sorry. I'm going to jump in real quick. We forgot one. Yeah. Hair and makeup. Yeah, I guess. 
<laughs> Sorry, all the hair and makeup listeners. They're all like, oh, you forgot? I'm like, yeah, you're, I guess you're important. <laughs> uh, yeah, hair and makeup is super important. Yeah. Um, kind of self-explanatory in the name. Yeah, I can't really talk too much about it because I don't know that much about hair and makeup mm-hmm. myself. And costume, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have one of them. Yeah, but I, I have a bunch of people I know who do hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And whenever I have a project in mind, I always reach out to them. Because um, I know completely that I cannot do any of that. Um, You're not good at beautifying? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> no good answer for that. <sighs> okay, sorry, I totally cut you off. You're on set volunteering and that's how you meet some people. Yeah, I mean, you like you'll meet a lot of people through that. You you can probably meet a script supervisor, um, a DP, camera operators, lighting people, whatever. Um, but you won't always meet the ones you like. Yeah. Um, so if you snag a few people from sets you've worked on, that's always going to add to your team. I think it's good too to do that because, as opposed to interviewing them, when you meet them on set, you see what they what they're like under that kind of pressure. As yeah. opposed to just interviewing them, it's like, yeah, I think they'll be good on set. You know, you meet them in their element, and that really helps. Yeah, and nine out of ten times, these people will have people they work with already. Mm-hmm. So if you work with someone that's going to be your camera operator, and you're like, oh, you're really good at camera operating, blah, blah, blah. Do you know any good people that light? They'll be like, oh, yeah, my friend Joe. And fucking Joe will come on and light the shit out of your film. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So everyone you know is going to know someone else. So if you if you build one contact, it's likely they'll have one person. Um, and then you'll want to go and look for specific roles that might be a little more difficult to find. Cinematographer. Or that you might be a little more picky with. And that's why people have demo reels. Mm-hmm. Um, so go look at some reels. Go put some feelers out there and try to find a good DP. Or if you're a writer and you need a director, go try to look for some directors that you think could do your film. Um, through social media or even through people you know I mean it's likely that if you work with a director they already have a DP they like to work with and the same with the DP they might have some directors they could recommend yeah. um, so I, I think that's the easiest way to start building a, a crew um, in terms of actual production um, but I guess do you, want, do you want to go on to that topic of finding those people that you kind of collaborate with normally? Yeah, of course. Um, kind of like what we do. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean, kind of? Do you, that's, you, you know, that's the hard it? thing. <laughs> I think it's very difficult to find people like that. Mm. Um, and it takes a little more time. time. Yeah. yeah. You've got to work with them on numerous projects and kind of gauge whether you're able to collaborate in the most efficient way. Um, Because I know a lot of people, especially coming out of film school, they'll kind of group up with other people from the class and try to start a thing, and it just kind of fails Um, a few years later. But it's because, like, your goals are not aligned. You have different ideas of what you're going to do as time passes. Um, So try to find people that you can collaborate with, but... Not necessarily people that you will clash with. Um, so if you're a director, and then your buddy is also a director, and you're both trying to direct the same thing, then you're going to have issues. Yeah. <laughs> and one of you is not going to end up directing it, and then you will break up. Um, so be, be very clear about the projects that you want to work on and what your position is, and try to find someone who can um, jump on board and have just as much excitement 
and not necessarily be someone who's going to compete with you for the thing you're doing, um, which is not always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the, honestly, the best way to do that is to actually work on set with people, um, because, like Matt said, that's the best way to get a gauge for someone, someone's work ethic and and what they kind of are looking forward to. Yeah. And, and how excited they are of doing the thing that they're doing. So working on set is, is probably the easiest way to find those people. Yeah. Um, but film school is also another one. Um, after that long process, you do meet people that you become very close with. You sh- share a sensibility with. A lot of the times, like, those people will be the ones you work with, um, you know, for for many years going ahead, so yeah. Like I know Ryan Johnson. He met his cinematographer in film school, and they've done every movie together up, up to Star Wars. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a pretty pretty big relationship. <laughs> um, film school. I think that's one of the big things everyone always says is it's the people you meet yeah. coming out of film school that really make the difference later on. So, um, I'm, if you're in film school now, I, I'd say. Don't be an asshole, because no one's gonna want to work with you. Yep. Just um, in general, don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's some instances where it's helpful, but um, yeah, I think the the best way to meet those people would be actually doing the process, because that's how you're gonna meet people who are actually serious about it as well. Mm. Um, I think it's unlikely to meet someone on Craigslist who's gonna be your your life partner for filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Not impossible. Yeah. But unlikely. Yeah. 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 I mean, next topic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree with everything you said. So, let's do a total 180 hmm. and talk about self-doubt for a little while. Yay. So we don't talk about it. We're just like kind of like letting everything out. We're like, I don't believe in myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had this idea because I was listening to Corey Barlog. He's the guy that directed and created the new God of War game. Mm-hmm. And he said that through everything he's ever done, he can't look back at it because all he sees is what went wrong mm-hmm. and where they had to make compromises and where they had to stitch that together and what his original vision was and how they didn't meet that. But this newest God of War he did, which I've talked about before, play it, it's fucking incredible. Uh, is the most the closest thing to complete that he's ever made. So I want to talk a little bit about that experience, and I think Latif and I are kind of on opposite sides of this coin, so that'll be a good perspective for listeners too. Um, how do you feel when you look back at yourself, uh, at yourself, at your stuff you've created? Like what goes through your head? Well, a lot of the times I can't. I mean, I, I usually don't look at something and get mad, mm-hmm. but, like, I'm not looking to, like, oh, this happened and that happened, because, like, I do so much of the the work on my projects that there's no one to blame, even if there are mistakes except myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I'm not looking back at it and just, like, having, like, the worst time. There's only a couple projects where I look back and I'm like, eh, that was quite, that wasn't quite it, or that wasn't exactly what I was going for. But aside from those few projects, I'm pretty... Um, okay with looking back at my older projects it doesn't bother me um, and I tend to watch um, something multiple times um, even throughout the years just to like get a good 
gauge for like you know how much I've improved over time um, I think if you don't watch anything you've made then you won't know if you're getting better <laughs> um, for the most part uh, but you know you do watch it tons of times as you're editing but mm-hmm. even tons of times yeah even afterwards I, I do still watch the finished project a good amount of times because I think it's important to learn where to grow yeah but you know sometimes I enjoy watching it. I'm like oh that was cool I'm happy I did that and all that stuff yeah yeah I don't hate my work <laughs> that's good yeah. that's very good um yeah like I guess we're not on total opposite sides of it. I do tend to look, have a little bit more of that. I only see what went wrong. Um, But at that same time, it has improved a lot with this new movie comparative (coughs) to Party Stories. So maybe it's something that, you know, another movie or two down the line, I won't see anything that it's like, oh, I really wish I did X, Y, or Z different. And... I do tend to think, like, I'll beat myself up more about the things that aren't quite perfect compared to praise myself for the things that I'm like, oh, yeah, that is perfect. Like, there, and there are a lot of scenes in this new movie, especially a lot of wonders, where it's like, yeah, that was great, no complaints. I don't really dwell on that. I tend to just say, like, the, yep, that's good, leave it in there, and then I don't think about it again. But, like, the ones where I wished we had a little bit more coverage on this or a little bit more time to shoot that or this prop or that set doesn't look quite right. I do tend to beat myself up quite a bit for that and dwell on it a little bit more. Um, But it always is, and I think it's a choice when you do something like that, when you dwell on something, it's a choice to say dwell on it and hate yourself or dwell on it and learn from it. I think that's a choice you can make within yourself. It's not an easy thing to flip if you're stuck on the, like, hating yourself for this not being perfect and flipping over to the learning. But if you just try and dissect, like, why do I feel we needed one extra angle on this? Why does that set not look as perfect as I thought it could? And then bring that into your next project. I think that's very beneficial. As much as it sucks that you're kind of beating yourself up for it. But the one thing that I would be really interested to try, um, like how you said, you'll watch it a whole bunch of times uh, after it's picture locked and finished and everything to try and learn from it. I'd be interested to do that again because a lot of the learning I'm talking about is through various cuts, like trying different things and learning, you know, and I would love an extra angle here, that kind of thing. But to sit down and watch it as a whole a couple times, you know, months, a year after it's finished, I think is something that I'm going to have to try and do myself to see what kind of personal lessons I take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone came up to you and said, like, man, I can't stop watching my, su- my stuff, I just I can't stand it, what, what advice would you give them? I don't know. Like, I, I, for a lot of people, I think that's their gut reaction. They have a really hard time seeing their own work. Yeah. I don't know what is causing that. And I know everyone's going to be different. So I don't think there's a cure-all for having that reaction to your films. But I think you've got to be aware that the process itself is something you need to enjoy. 
Even if you have a hard time watching your own films. You mean the process of making it or the process of learning through failure? Making it. Okay. Because that's all you have. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think even Scorsese doesn't really, like, watch his stuff looking back. He's like, I can't watch it. I don't know if that was him. It might have been him. But mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be able to watch their own work. But I think the further along you go and the more time has passed, it'll be a little easier to go back and see something. Because if you've, you've got so much distance from it, and the person you were at the time of making is not who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give you some space. But uh, honestly, I, I would not be so hard on myself um, looking back just because like, I know I'm constantly growing and you're constantly learning. Um, if it's like uh, we're all going to be kind of tough and, and everyone's a bit of a per- perfectionist. But I think uh, just knowing that you're going to have an opportunity to do it better the next time is what, what kind of gives you hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know if I have any advice for anyone that's got that problem, though. No, I think that's good advice right there. Just know that next time you do it, it's going to be a little bit better, especially if you look at it analytically, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I think that's all I got. <laughs> that was a short topic. <laughs> Self-doubt. Yeah, don't don't beat yourself up too much, but learn from it. Okay. Yeah. Anything else to add? No. All right, well, this is Filmcraft once again. I'm Matt. That's Latif. Yeah, last episode of the day. Yeah, four episodes later. And we're brought to you by Pippa.io, P-A-P-P-A.io, podcast hosting service. It's cheap and cool. Yeah, and if you're, like, really suffering from self-doubt, it's probably because you're bad. (laughs) It's a a good note to end on, I guess. (laughs) You're just a realist. But you're going to do better next time. All right, see you later, guys.